0: If you or someone you know is an undiscovered musician looking for a break, listen up. NPR Music is holding a Tiny Desk Contest to find one great unsigned musician to play the iconic Tiny Desk Concert Series and tour the United States with NPR Music. All you have to do is shoot a video of your musical act playing an original song behind a desk and submit it by January 29th. Learn more at npr.org slash contest Okay, here's the show. It's the NPR Politics Podcast, here to talk about a lot of things, including President Barack Obama's farewell address.
1: It has been the honor of my life to serve you. I won't stop. In fact, I will be right there with you as a citizen for all my remaining days.
0: That was in Chicago Tuesday night. But that was just one piece of the political news from Tuesday that we'll talk about because it was like a news tsunami. We have coming up the latest on Senate confirmation hearings, more testimony from intelligence officials on Russian hacking and reports that Donald Trump and President Obama were briefed on claims that Russia possesses compromising material about Trump himself. So there you go. Uh, I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Carrie Johnson, NPR's Justice Correspondent.
2: And I'm Ron Elving, Editor-Correspondent.
0: It's 10.30 p.m. Tuesday here at NPR headquarters. And let's just dive right into this. Before we get to President Obama's speech, let's talk about this latest russian news Um, you are hearing this most likely on wednesday which means that today is supposed to be at least as of when we're taping it donald trump's first press conference in 167 days he was supposed to talk about disentangling himself from his many business interests uh, and a whole lot of other stuff but it seems that russia will turn out to be the big topic of conversation and that's because Last night, a number of news outlets reported and NPR also learned that leaders of the intelligence community last week told both President Obama and President-elect Trump about the contents of an explosive but unverified document claiming collusion between Trump associates and Russia during the campaign, among a great many other things. And with details from the document swirling around the Internet, Trump last night turned to Twitter saying in all caps, quote, fake news, a total political witch hunt, exclamation point. So what to say? <laughs> Some of these details seem uh, like they're possibly plausible,
3: other things are being denied right out of the gate from senior Trump associates who say they weren't in places in Europe where uh, this dossier says they were at the time, and uh, the Trump camp itself has been kind of unclear about what exactly Trump was
0: told. Yeah, and this this whole thing's a little murky.
3: There seems to be there is some element of consensus
4: that part of this research in this document was compiled by what is known in political campaigns as oppo researchers but the source of those oppo researchers is unclear in the in the reports both in the New York Times and the Washington Post they have cited that the source of this reporting was someone who worked in British intelligence who is now a private consultant and does this type of research but it was widely circulated both in political and media circles there is further reports that this document was given to John McCain, the senator of Arizona, at some point in this process, and he took it upon himself to make sure that this document was given to James Comey.
0: The FBI director. The FBI
4: director, and that McCain did not comment on what was in these documents or in these memos, but that he felt that it was from a reliable of enough source that... People that look into these kind of things should have it made aware.
3: And funny, you should mention FBI Director James Comey, who's been a topic of conversation in political circles, oh, for the last nine months or so about uh, certain open or reopened investigations into the Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. And this came up today in the Comey hearing, correct? Yes,
2: yes in the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is the official designated group to talk about whether or not there was Russian hacking into our election. Today, James Comey was part of the crew that was being questioned. And at least two of the Democrats really kind of went after him.
0: And one of those was Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon, who questioned Comey about whether the FBI has investigated relationships between the Trump campaign and Russia.
2: My question for you, Director Comey, is, has the FBI investigated these reported relationships? And if so, what are the agency's findings? Thank you, Senator. I would never comment on investigations, whether we have one or not, in an open forum like this. So I really can't answer it one way or another
0: which led to this follow-up a few minutes later from Senator Angus King. He's an independent from Maine. Uh,
2: just to, I, I, I just want to be sure I heard correctly. Mr. Comey, did you answer Senator Wyden's question that there is an investigation underway as to connections between either the political campaigns and the Russian, uh, Russians? I didn't say one way or another. You didn't say that there That was my one, intention, at least. You didn't say one way or another whether even there's an investigation underway. Correct. I don't... It, especially in a public forum, we never confirm or deny a pending investigation. the irony I'm not, of, I'm not saying the you irony of your making that statement here I cannot. Uh avoid, but I'll move on. Well, we sometimes think differently about closed investigations, but he asked me if I had any pending investigations, and we're not going to talk about that.
3: (laughs) Needless to say, the FBI director has been on the hot seat for his multiple communications to members of Congress about the status of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email, the discovery of uh, other messages, which turned out to be nothing new on uh, laptop in the possession of Anthony Weiner. That... You mean he was communicating about ongoing investigations? Yeah, you know, and and Comey uh, defended himself in in the face of that taunt from Angus King by saying, "Listen, everybody knows I have a political tin ear, and boy, do they ever know he has a political <laughs> tin ear," having uh, really
0: outraged most Democrats and on the road to outraging some Republicans too. The other remarkable thing about this hearing is these senators are saying, hey, can you talk about this issue of the Trump campaign possibly colluding, working with Russia? And then, like, I don't know. Three hours later, these reports start leaking out and this and this document starts flying around the Internet. Well, hey, Tam, maybe those events are not unconnected.
3: (laughs) Uh, There are only a few days left in the Obama presidency. And if you want to pressure uh, senior leaders in the House or the Senate to appoint a select committee, maybe now's the time you do it.
2: And maybe if you want to pressure some further release from some agency of the government, you may want to do that before the government is taken over and directed by Donald Trump.
3: And in fact, I was making some calls this evening on that very topic, and the situation is so fluid. Some of my my sources are telling me they can't predict one way or another whether we're going to get a lot more information on this topic before the inauguration. And
0: just to be crystal clear here, this is unverified. You know, NPR and other organizations are working to verify things. But for as explosive as it is, it is also uh, completely unverified.
2: So the question, I suppose, for a lot of our listeners is, why are we talking about this at all? If it is so unverifiable, if it is so out there. And, and our, I think it's a fair question. And It is a 100% fair question. And perhaps part of the reason is because tomorrow... That is to say, Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Donald Trump is supposed to descend and have his first actual news conference where he takes questions from a wild, unrestrained, uncontrolled group of released reporters who've been waiting for 167 days to have a shot at him. Now, this is not the... background you want to have for that kind of a breakfast fast on having news conferences. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, this will be his <laughs> first news conference since becoming president-elect.
2: Exactly. And someone is going to be in the front row and someone is going to say, let's talk about these allegations. And we have to give people a little bit of background, even if we cannot independently verify uh, everything that's in these uh, memos.
4: Arguably, a press conference is what Donald Trump needs to do, right? I mean, beyond the news of last night, the US intelligence community has concluded with great authority that the Russian government did meddle in our elections. There is consensus on Capitol Hill that they did do this, and they're investigating the motives of the Russian government and how far it went. And this has been a cloud on Donald Trump in this transition period. He's about to take office. I think the public needs to hear from him directly one way or another. And he has firmly denied these charges and he should do it on national television. I
2: am completely in favor of there being a press conference.
4: <laughs> <laughs> We're very pro-press conference we are in the
2: really press. Pro- we, press are,
0: we are biased and we are biased in favor of access and lots of questions. Yes, There was another big hearing today, and that was day one of the confirmation hearings for Jeff Sessions. He's the Alabama senator who is Donald Trump's pick for attorney general, the nation's top prosecutor, among other roles. Um, Carrie, you cover the Justice Department. You watched this hearing with Jeff Sessions very closely. What stood out to you? Uh, You know,
3: I've been to three or four of these rodeos before, and typically, you know, the attorney general nominee sits there for many hours. Today, it was over 10 hours for Jeff Sessions, who happens to be 70 years old. Uh, What stood out for me in part was they're always protesters, but the tenor of these protests Mm. right out of the bat were awfully strong. You know, uh, just... As the hearing was starting, we had um, men dressed in white hoods trying to pretend they were members of the KKK doing a lot of screaming.
0: Now, in fact, they were members of a group called Code Pink, which is, you know, a a protest, liberal protest group that protests basically every hearing they can get into.
3: Yeah, and and they were frog marched out by the uh, Capitol Police, as were, you know, more than a dozen other people out of the hearing through the course of the day. But hot stuff.
0: In terms of what he was asked, what he said... Is there is there something that stands out that would be problematic for him or or really that's not the point?
3: Let's get real. Senator Sessions has been a member of this very committee for 20 years. So he got pretty friendly (laughs) treatment today and he came away maybe a little bruised, but not too much. That said, Democrats on the committee were able to use the statements of President-elect Donald Trump to try to drive a wedge between Trump and the likely attorney general for Donald Trump. For instance, uh, Senator Sessions relatively early on disavowed the whole idea of banning Muslims from entering the country.
2: I have no belief and do not support the idea that Muslims as a religious group should be uh, denied admission to the United States.
3: Senator Sessions also said under questioning from uh, Democrat Diane Feinstein that uh, Supreme Court cases on same-sex marriage and abortion are settled law, which means you got to follow the law. And he also uh, seemed to look askance at some comments by President-elect Donald Trump during the course of the campaign about getting tough with detainees and a possible return to torture and waterboarding terrorism
2: suspects. Congress has taken an action now that makes it absolutely improper and illegal to use waterboarding or any other form of torture uh, in the United States by our military and by all our other departments and agencies. It
0: seems like a lot of his answers, a lot of the questions were like, well, what do you believe? And a lot of his answers were I would follow the law if I was the attorney general, sort of again and again and again and again.
3: Yeah, you know, in the course of time, uh, having a job like the attorney general or even the deputy attorney general which is number 2 is a magnet for controversy and nobody comes away clean because there's always some disaster on your watch god forbid if it's not a national security disaster it's some kind of domestic political scandal and everybody has to answer to it. and i know sue's seen this for years and years too
4: yeah and another thing to remember with sessions and all of trump's nominees is that they have a lower threshold for approval than the last time we had a new president the democrats in the senate changed the rules of the game in 2013 to stop the ability to filibuster all nominations except for the Supreme Court. So Jeff Sessions would need to lose the support of his Republican colleagues to not become the next attorney general. And after his performance today, which I, he's got received very high marks from his Republican colleagues, that does not seem anywhere near likely unless something unforeseen were to come to light. And there is nothing there yet.
0: You know, at the beginning, there were those protesters dressed as KKK. Did race come up? You know, Sessions brought it up
3: right out the bat in his opening statement saying that... uh he understood the need to protect voting rights for all Americans and civil rights for all Americans. This is a man who was born in Selma, Alabama, who was denied a federal judgeship for making alleged racially insensitive remarks in the 80s. And he tried to suggest that that portrait of him back in those days was a caricature, that people had misconstrued what he said, took things out of line. Um, He was trying to make jokes, for instance. he, He said back in those days that he made a joke about about liking the KKK or thinking people in the KKK were all right until he found out they were pot smokers. Um, All that stuff uh, led to his rejection by the Senate in the 80s. And he said now is is a very different time and people should look at him and look at his record clearly. That said, Tam, he did express new support for voter ID laws, which Democrats just view as voter suppression in many instances, even though the Supreme Court has upheld the general idea of voter ID laws in Indiana and lower courts have too. Uh, And he did not promise to uh, keep up uh, the very aggressive investigations of police discrimination this Obama Justice Department has made a name for itself doing. In other words, he he may take a totally different approach. He wants to be the friend of local police, not the overseer of them.
4: Uh, One other really interesting thing about the Sessions, confirmation process is that uh, on Wednesday, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, who is an African American senator, is going to testify against Jeff Sessions before the Judiciary Committee. And this is setting a new precedent in the United States Senate where no sitting senator has ever testified against the executive nomination of another senator. And that is a really remarkable position for Booker to stake out. And Once you break that new ground in the Senate, it opens the door for uh, future examples to be set on that front.
0: Will it be personal testimony or will it be? uh, Booker has announced
4: his opposition to Sessions nomination, and he is going to make the case for that before the committee tomorrow.
2: He will also be buttressed, we believe, by testimony from John Lewis, who is a congressman from Georgia, but who also has memories of Selma. Uh, he was beaten almost to death there at the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1965 and has uh, been recognized as one of the martyrs, living martyrs of the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, we don't know exactly what he plans to say, but he is going to testify as well. So. We do not expect Jeff Sessions to testify again on the second day, but uh, we do expect to hear a great deal about the particular issue of race and how it affects the function of the attorney general and justice in America in the next four years.
0: Okay, we are going to take a quick break, and Carrie, you are going to exit out stage left uh, to go get some sleep because you've been up since four in the morning. Um, so thank you for staying up late with us.
3: Yeah, and in uh, my immortal parting words,
0: bye. <laughs> <laughs> and when we come back, we'll talk about President Obama's farewell address. Listening to the news all week is a duty and an obligation of citizenship, and also sometimes really a pain. Wait, wait, don't tell me the NPR News Quiz is like Advil for the aching mind. Tune in every week, but especially the weekend of January 14th when Tom Hanks is guest hosting. Catch the show on the NPR One app and at npr.org podcasts.
2: And and Peter Segel is going to do his next three movies. He's even going to fall in love with Meg Ryan.
0: (laughs) At least twice. (laughs) We are back. So last night, Tuesday night in Chicago, President Barack Obama gave his farewell address to the nation, uh, taking a huge stage at the McCormick Place Convention Center to you too, I believe that was the song. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama. McCormick Place is the largest convention center in North America. It's less than four miles from Grant Park, the site of Obama's 2008 victory speech.
1: Thank you so much, thank you, thank you. Thank you, it's
0: good to be here. Let's listen to a bit of President Obama's address reflecting on the last eight years and ahead to the next four. This clip is about two and a half minutes long.
1: Yes, our progress has been uneven. The work of democracy has always been hard. It's always been contentious. Sometimes it's been bloody. For every two steps forward, it often feels we take one step back. But the long sweep of America has been defined by forward motion, a constant widening of our founding creed to embrace all, and not just some. If I had told you eight years ago that America would reverse a Great Recession, reboot our auto industry, and unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history. If I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9-11, If I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance for another 20 million of our fellow citizens, if I had told you all that, you might have said our sights were set a little too high. But that's what we did. That's what you did. You were the change. You answered people's hopes. And because of you, by almost every measure, America is a better, stronger place than it was when we started. You know, at the end of any presidency, there's a lot of
2: debate about whether or not that president accomplished what he set out to do, and this, of course, has been no exception. We've heard many people talk about what they found disappointing about the Obama years, or what he himself might have found disappointing about the Obama years. But you did not hear that in the speech tonight. What you heard in the speech tonight was Barack Obama citing accomplishments, saying if we had told you eight years ago all of this was going to happen, you would have said, oh, let's not set the bar that high. Let's not set the bar that high. So he really tried to reverse the psychology on the postmortems on his presidency.
4: One thing that I thought was so interesting about it is that The 08 campaign of Barack Obama, hope and change, right? That that was the sort of, yes, we can, hope and change, the the bumper sticker slogans. And tonight, the first half of his speech was a bit of a victory lap. Like, yes, we did. Yeah, and the things they accomplished. But there was also this different take on change, this thesis that he offered in, in this speech that was about that there's also corrosive forces of
1: change. A shrinking world, growing inequality, demographic change and the specter of terrorism. These forces haven't just tested our security and our prosperity, but are testing our democracy as well.
4: And that changes technology, and it's moving at such a pace that it's allowing us to live in these bubbles and not communicate with each other as much, and that we are creating our own self-reinforcing universes, and that
1: that has been corrosive. Look, politics is a battle of ideas. That's how our democracy was designed. In the course of a healthy debate, we prioritize different goals and the different means of reaching them. But without some common baseline of facts, without a willingness to admit new information, and concede that your opponent might be making a fair point, and that science and reason matter, then we're going to keep talking past
4: each other. And I think that has been very much a topic of both political and cultural conversation in this country in this year, in that we are living in bubble societies. And he had a line that I saw got a lot of pick up on Twitter that, some, that said something like, if you're
1: tired of fighting with people on the internet... If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. <laughs> What's, um, that? What's that? <laughs> What's that? What's that? What's real life?
2: I vaguely recall it. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the many ways, I think, in which the unnamed Donald Trump name never came up in never the speech. Never But one of the many ways in which his presence was hovering in the background. And it's clear that Donald Trump... One in 2016, largely because he was the candidate of change, a different change, perhaps from what Obama personified eight years ago, but changed nonetheless and changed just as clearly in comparison to his opponent.
0: Yeah, you know, the thing with these farewell addresses, and I've spent the last couple of days reading and watching all of the modern farewell addresses, all of them look back at least a little bit to accomplishments. Many of them talk about regrets And and President Obama didn't spend much time on regrets at all. And some of them offer advice or warnings, starting with President George Washington, our first president, offering a series of warnings. In this speech, President Obama quotes Washington, and and he also offers warnings about threats to our democracy.
1: In his own farewell address, George Washington wrote that Self-government is the underpinning of our safety, prosperity, and liberty. But from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken to weaken in your minds the conviction of this truth. And so we have to preserve this truth with jealous anxiety that we should reject the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest or to enfeeble the sacred ties that make us one.
4: You know, and of course, this was the first black president's farewell address. I mean, this unto itself was history. And (laughs) again, and when I say he had this duality tonight where half of, a lot of his comments about race were, really optimistic and positive and said, you know, yes, people talked about post-racial America when I was elected, and that was always, that was always overblown and never
1: realistic. Race remains a potent and often divisive force in our society. Now, I've lived long enough to know that race relations are better than they were 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, no matter what some folks say. You can see it. Not just in statistics. You see it in the attitudes of young Americans across the political spectrum. But we're not where we need to be.
4: But he also had lines in here that I think also touch on. I don't want to say this was directly towards Trump, but it it did address, seemed to address so much of the racial tension that seemed to be an undercurrent of this
1: election cycle. If every economic issue is framed as a struggle between a hard-working white middle class and an undeserving minority, then workers of all shades are going to be left fighting for scraps while the wealthy withdraw further into their private enclaves.
4: And he had a line where he spoke directly about, and he said, about white Americans. It means you can't act like Jim Crow suddenly vanished after the 1960s.
1: The effects of slavery in Jim Crow didn't suddenly vanish in the 60s. <laughs> that when minority groups voice discontent, they're not just engaging in reverse racism or practicing political correctness. When they wage peaceful protests, they're not demanding special treatment, but the equal treatment that our founders promised.
2: It was also a line where he said, you should look at the middle-aged white guy who has lost his factory
1: job. For blacks and other minority groups, that means tying our own very real struggles for justice to the challenges that a lot of people in this country face. Not only the refugee or the immigrant or the rural poor or the transgender American, but also the middle-aged white guy who, from the outside, may seem like he's got advantages, but has seen his world upended by economic and cultural and technological change. We have to pay attention and listen.
4: Yeah. I mean, his, his macro message was sort of like, we just need to be better to each other. Yes. And we need to all try hard. Like our, we can't look to our politicians to set examples. Like You have to look into yourself and be a better person.
0: And that we need to see each other.
4: Yeah, oh, exactly.
2: Exactly yeah. the sentence I was going to say. See each other and listen to each other.
4: Don't be garbage people. That was his... Don't be garbage people. Just don't be garbage people. Don't do it.
0: Yeah. And he really was doing this thing that many presidents have done before him, which is defend our democracy, make a case for our our way of government and our way of life and our values and our ideals and warn of the dangers of, of wandering from that
4: and kind of telling people, don't be lazy about democracy. Like, you have to
1: participate. If something needs fixing... Then lace up your shoes and do some organizing. If you're disappointed by your elected officials, grab a clipboard, get some signatures, and run for office yourself. Show up. Dive in. Stay at it.
0: And that is the community organizer that ran for president and then was president and is now going to be an ex-president who may well try to organize the community as part of his post-presidency.
2: It will be interesting to see what exactly
1: he makes of that.
0: And then, of course, he ends the speech addressing his wife, Michelle Obama.
1: Michelle. And her role in the White House. You took on a role you didn't ask for. And you made it your own with grace and with grit and with style and good humor.
0: Addressing Malia and Sasha.
1: Malia and Sasha. How they grew up in the White House. Under the strangest of circumstances, you have become two amazing young women. You are smart and you are beautiful, but more importantly, you are kind and you are thoughtful and you are full of passion. Though
0: we should note Sasha wasn't there, not sure where she was, but the internet
4: noted she was missing. And that Malia was on camera crying. Yeah.
1: Which is not something we'd seen from one of the first daughters. Of all that I have done in my life, I am most proud to be your dad. Um, and Joe Biden. To Joe Biden. His support and friendship. And we love you and Jill like family. And your friendship has been one of the great joys of our lives.
0: His staff and organizers across the country.
1: For eight years, and for some of you a whole lot more, I have drawn from your energy, and every day I try to reflect back what you displayed, heart and character and idealism.
0: And he ended with addressing the American people.
1: I do have one final ask of you as your president, the same thing I asked when you took a chance on me eight years ago. I'm asking you to believe, not in my ability to bring about change, but in yours. I am asking you to hold fast to that faith written into our founding documents, that idea whispered by slaves and abolitionists, that spirit sung by immigrants and homesteaders and those who marched for justice, that creed reaffirmed by those who planted flags from foreign battlefields to the surface of the moon. A creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. May God continue to bless the United States of America.
0: That was, of course, President Obama. Okay, we're going to wrap there and we will be back in your feed tomorrow morning. That's Thursday morning with a recap of Donald Trump's press conference, which is scheduled for 11 a.m. Wednesday, as well as more on the Senate confirmation hearings happening that same day, including more of Jeff Sessions hearing and the beginning of the hearings for Rex Tillerson, the former ExxonMobil CEO and Trump's pick for secretary of state. We know there is so much political news happening right now. Be sure to keep up with more of our coverage on NPR.org, the NPR One app, and your local public radio station. And as always, remember to write us with questions and comments at NPRPoliticsNPR.org. At I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress.
2: And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent.
0: And thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.